You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Good morning, Redeemer. How are we? Oh, that's 8.30 right there. Good. Good, man. Well, good morning. My name's Brandon, one of the pastors on staff, and I serve as a college director as well. And so if you got your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians, join us there. Um, Last week, Dusty kicked off this series that we're going to be in for really the rest of the academic year, walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And and man, I, I love these letters to the Corinthian church. I think it's in these letters that we really get to see one of the clearest views of the actual difficulties that this new people of God are experiencing in this new world after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Like we get to see this infant church encountering these problems as they lived, as they worked, as they did community together, and as they did this really in a world that did not share their view and their newfound beliefs and convictions, right? And and I love how Paul comes into this in the midst of even what we're going to see as we go through this book, some really broken stuff, how Paul comes and encourages them to be unified around the right things versus boasting and finding confidence in temporary saviors. And I think this really applies to us today because as it, as it seems from that time until today, like I think so often we are bombarded daily with messages that tell us what success should look like. It, it tells us how we should measure our worth and, and where we should find meaning in life and wisdom and how we should pursue these things. And the reality is what happens when followers of Christ or those pursuing or those even as you may be here today and not in that category and we're so grateful that you're here, but what if you're exploring what that gospel thing even means and you find yourself at odds with the values of the world? Like what do we do in that, in that situation when we so often are prone to try to fix what is wrong with the world through our own knowledge? through our own wisdom, when we want our solutions to be the end all. Paul engages us right here in this place. He engages us with the realities that when something is broken and off in the world, and how do you move towards a solution that brings true and lasting wholeness, true and lasting healing, true and lasting satisfaction versus what so often we want to do, and that is pursue the end to bring just temporary desire, temporary reprieve, right? Like, tell me you're not there today. Like, tell me you're not doing that. I find so often this is the case for me. It seems that more and more when we look at the world, wisdom and success is often defined by what I can accomplish in the moments. I mean, just look around. We're gonna examine this today of what we really put our hope in and our trust in. And this is what Paul is gonna address in 1 Corinthians chapter one. And Paul has this keen awareness. He's like, hey, listen, I'm gonna bring this message to you and this message that I'm gonna bring is gonna fly right in the face of a world that saw the solution to the problem of wholeness and and healing and brokenness. It's gonna fly right in the face of that. 
It's gonna fly right in the face of something that would, be, that would only bring brokenness and bring healing through temporary lenses. It's gonna, I'm gonna feel that tension in our culture today. In a world obsessed with the here and now, the cross of Christ, he says, is gonna whisper something of extreme value and wisdom, but are we gonna hear it? Are we able in the midst of all that is bombarded on us today to seek our own solution, to come to our own conclusion, to lean into our own wisdom? Will we stop for a minute and listen to what the cross whispers to us? And this is what Paul says. So let's look here at 1 Corinthians. We'll start in verse 18. We're gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. It'd be like one of those old Datsun cars used to have back in the 60s, all right? So here we go. For the work... For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So let me stop here for a second. We've got to start here because there is a way to interact with religion and or the world that leads to death. So lest we think that we can just come into church and interact with religion and think I can just come to church, sit in the pews, do my thing, and then leave here, and that's going to lead to life. Paul's going to be like, hey, no, that's not true. But there's also a way to interact with the world that we know leads to death, right? Like I can name it. I grew up in youth group, man. Don't do the big three, right? Like we all know that if you grew up in youth group at all. Like we can stay away from those things. What happens when we come in? We just interact with church at this surface level. He said, there's a way to interact with both religion and the world that leads to death. Like when the cross presses on my need, when the cross presses me at a core level, like I usually want to bow up against that thing. I want to put, put up my defenses. I want to go, no, 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 don't press me there. Like don't talk about my pride. Don't talk about my anger. Don't talk about those places that I love to lean into, my self-loathing. Like don't talk about those things. Like just let me be where I want to be. That's where exactly where the cross wants to press in. But there's a way that leads to life when we press into the cross. Is what he says. It says, for those that, that lean into the cross, that lean into the gospel. It is the power of God to those who are being saved. So, right, there's two ways that he sets out. There's no middle ground for this thing. There's not like hanging off one foot in and one foot out and kind of do church as a hobby or kind of do the cross thing as a hobby or do the gospel as a hobby. I can kind of dive in and out on a week-to-week basis. He said there's two ways that we approach this gospel thing. There's two ways that we can do this. One is one way leads to death. There's a way that I can lean into myself that's gonna lead to death. This Old Testament verse says, hey, there's a way that seems right in the eyes of man and in the end, everybody dies. There's a way that I can lean into this that leads to death. There's a way I can lean into the cross that actually leads to life. And he's gonna lay this argument out for us in the rest of the passage. Let's look at 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise and where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God that through the folly of what we preach to save those who would believe. So Paul starts this address by addressing those who would claim the wisdom here and now. 
Now, those who would think that they have it all together by the worldly standards, he addresses the wise one, just this overarching, hey, you who think you're wise by worldly standards, the, the scribe, the one who has all of it down and knew everything, the debater, right? We know those guys, right? Yeah, the guy who always just look at, lurking around the corner, just wanted to have a debate and still exists today. He addresses these that would have it all together by worldly standard. And much like the first century, we today pride ourselves in our way of thinking. We see the pursuit of the here and the now as the most valuable thing. Think about the things that you place value in, the things that we place our hope and our trust in the way we seek to solve the problems with brokenness in the world today. I mean, think about some of these things. Materialism. The world would say the way to solve the problem with brokenness is just get more stuff. The plan to happiness and success is chasing after the bigger house, the fancier car, more possessions, believing that in those things, we find contentment in these things. The iPhone just came out. Guess who's watching that thing all day long? This guy, it's titanium. That's it, man. All those scratches from my keys on my screen. Oh, like that's gonna fix it all. Like we chase after these things. We, maybe, it's, maybe it's power and prestige. Like somewhere along the way, we've, society has values positions of power and influence. In fact, like influencer is now like a job, right? Like it's a job in our world. We, we strive after prestige, we strive after, man, the, the mentality, if it feels good, do it. The world would encourage in wisdom and say, hey, just this more self-centered, like it, it would promote this idea that you should prioritize your own desires first and foremost, that your ambitions above all, you go after what you want. If, you, if it feels good, do it, no matter what the world, you go after what you want. It would celebrate human wisdom Intellectual achievements. Listen, I think knowledge and education are valuable. But like, I'm a, I'm a learner. If any of you know like the, the strengths assessment, right? Like learner is number one for me. And that means I just love to learn. Like this is just a thing. Like I, just, I am just on a kick right now with like, just, I just love learning. Like, and so like, I wanna learn about cameras right now and camcorders and I'm just a super nerd, all right? But, but sometimes here's how it plays out in brokenness for me. When I'm in this basement of learning is that I can get this super big imposter syndrome. And so what can often happen is I work on a staff here at church with super gifted men and women. Like, I mean, it is crazy what God has brought to this place. Like just gifted men and women from the men and women that serve on this stage to behind the scenes at this place to wherever that may, wherever we may see that, and, and it's easy for me just to go after knowledge. I'm bent that way and I can just go after knowledge. I can read books all day long. Like I can just consume systematic theology or biblical theology, whatever it may be. Get the newest old dead guy book, whatever it is. And I can pursue wisdom for the end to get the pat on the back in a meeting to be seen as more worthy by other leaders to be given more responsibility, to be seen at some level and not for the sake of those things and those deep truths stirring my affection for Jesus. 
Like, I can just go after that stuff. You see how that brokenness, like that human wisdom can just come, become really broken in me saying, hey, this is gonna fulfill you. That pat on the back, that man, hey, Brandon really got his stuff together. Like it can just shift the focus slightly. We look at instant gratification in our world today. Many seek it like the immediate pleasure. Man, at the expense of long-term consequences. We see this in political salvation. If Man, if, if at the end of this, we're in this crazy political season and we say, man, if my party just gets where it needs to be, then everything's gonna fix. That's the wisdom of the world. If it get, just gets there, then everything's gonna be right. And so we just go to crazy ends to, to prop up whatever that is and whatever that debate is, moral relativism, Right or wrong is subjective and can vary from person to person. Like we see that today all over the place. There is no objective truth. It is all subjective. And unless we think this is only outside the church, we do this inside the church as well, right? Like we do this through morality or roadmap to life Christianity, don't we? Man, I grew up in the 90s church, okay? Like that just cemented the sovereignty of God for me, all right? Like, like how, I went to the Bible Bowl, okay? Like, don't, golly. Like if my goods outweigh my bads, like that was kind of the, like if my goods outweigh my bads, like I'm in this thing, right? Like we do this. We attach Instagram, we attach Bible verses to our Instagram. We celebrate celebrity pastors or, or we celebrate podcasts more than we do the word of God, wherever that may be. Like we do this in every facet of life and being careful that this is not the wisdom that we are pursuing. Like here's the reality, wherever you are today, whether you have grown up in the church like me or whether you are coming in here wounded and broken or whether you have had bad experiences, everyone is searching for wisdom, everyone. Everyone is searching for it. Like, listen, you may have gone out after the game last night and you made some horrific mistakes and you're here today and you're feeling the weight of those things. Why do you think you're here today? You are searching for wisdom. How do I navigate that? And you may have gotten passed over for that promotion and you are just writhing with anger and seeping in there. And you're going, how do I deal with this? I don't wanna feel this way. And you're going, man, maybe I just got to go hard after work, become a workaholic. I just got to do more. And that's the wisdom that you're struggling with right now. Like, I don't know how this has played out for you. Maybe you think the sum of all that you are is your production. Maybe you think that wisdom is just the more that I can gain, the more I'll be respected. Or maybe you thought that church wisdom is just doing a bunch of the right stuff, cleaning my act up. And then I've got to do this on my own. Or maybe you think wisdom is that, man, I can't being, or maybe you think like wisdom is if I ask, I'll be seen as weak. Like if I ask for help, then what will people think of me? To isolate and silo, now that's the way to go, right? I just got to figure this stuff out on my own. And this is why so often I think we, we strive so hard to bring our own solutions to the tables because that's what wisdom is. But Paul says that this is the way of thinking that doesn't bring salvation. That this way of thinking, when it is often left unchallenged or even celebrated in the echo chambers of our own lives or social media, is not wisdom. It is just painted up foolishness in disguise that one day will be destroyed. It is not serving to build anything up but the ego. 
It builds up the boasting that we can bring something, do something, that we actually bring something to the table to solve this brokenness solution. And look at what he says in verse 22. He says, for the Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew, folly to the Gentiles. But to those who call both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So here's what God does in response to this foolishness of this wisdom of the world. Like, here's what he does. I I think in my mind, I was like, why wouldn't God just like use the wisdom of the world? Like, wouldn't the gospel spread faster if he just used that? If he just took materialism and said, this is how I'm gonna save everybody through materialism. I'm gonna save everybody through human intellect and wisdom. I guess I'm gonna do it. But look what he does. He does something incredibly crazy here with the greatest news in the universe, with the gospel. He says, you want a sign? You want wisdom? I'm gonna take the most shameful, scandalous stumbling block there is as the central element and solution. Something so ridiculous, it's gonna make no sense to the world. I'm gonna crucify my own son on a cross. To the Jew, He confronts the very thing that would have been a curse for them. Like, unbelievable. This stumbling block to the Jew that would have been a curse of somebody hanging on the tree, he puts puts a savior on a tree. To the Greek who celebrated these God figures that had no weaknesses, he would have put a God humbled on a cross Why? And they would have had this question, why would God humiliate himself and let humans put him to death? That is weak and foolish. And so, so, I mean, so many religions still think that today, but why? Why would, because the cross exposes the here and now. It challenges our way of thinking. The cross is the end of human achievement. It confronts us not at a performance level, but at a core and identity level. And then he continues to go on. He takes, he says, here's the cross. Now look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are I mean, Paul addresses what God chose in the gospel. Chooses Jesus, right? Doesn't come to a palace. He doesn't come with pomp and circumstance. He's born in a small, no-name town, in a manger, in a stable. He chooses disciples who are on the fringes of society. Most of them have been rejected from school and already gone back to the family business. There were tax collectors. He says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Like he goes to the sinners. He chooses the church, this mixed up, messed up group of nobodies and gathers them together in this unified pursuit of the gospel, doesn't he? From every race and ethnicity, from from every socioeconomic background, he brings them together and says, watch me do something crazy with this church. We just look around at us today. Like it's unreal that this thing's been going on for 2,000 years. 
He chooses you and me. (laughs) I love the first three chapters of Corinthians because Paul is showing them and us that Christianity will not spread by excellence of human speech or impressive intellect or the church looking a lot like the world or being super relevant to the world. Paul stops them and says, hey, listen, Just stop what's going on in the world. Just slow down all this that's bombarding you, all these things that are coming after you, all these things that are trying to fix what's broken in the world, all these solutions to the problem. He says, literally stop and set your gaze on your salvation. Consider your calling. Think about it. Dwell on it. Your salvation does not depend on anything that you brought to the table. God doesn't call people to himself based on attributes like wisdom or power or prestige. It doesn't depend on what we bring, our productivity, our ability to clean ourselves up. There is no partiality with God. There is no rich or poor, well-spoken or not, tall or short, urban or country. The beauty of the gospel call is that it goes out to all in spite of all. Now, do you see why this can be offensive? Do you see why this can be, especially to us in West Texas, right? Like I've grown up here pretty much my whole life. And you're telling me that as a West Texan, that I'm supposed to receive something without working for it? Like that flies in the face of everything I know. That is just, that's just not right. You're telling me that I can just come as I am and lay everything before him and not have to clean myself up. Like not have to, like with my house, when people come over, I'm a lunatic. You're telling me I can just come as I am. Man, that just seems like it's gonna come back around and I'm gonna have to owe something down the road like a bad lease on a car when I was 18. Do you see why this is foolishness? It doesn't make sense to the world that's perishing. I think, look look at this, look at verse 29 through 31. I think this is why this brokenness is so hard to accept. Look here, well, how would he do it this way? Like, why would he do it? Look at 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He chose this because it has implications for the way that we live, see, and interact with the world around us and even ourselves. The cross of Christ, again, is the end of human achievement. It is the end of boasting. It replaces that pride that we take in ourselves, it take in our experience, take in our intellect and our accomplishments, and it replaces it with a childlike trust and a childlike faith. It It is my death that he died. I am crucified to pride, to boasting, to myself. Ephesians 2 says it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. Even the faith that we have to believe is a gift. We didn't conjure that up. 
When like one day I'm just going hard after what I wanted to and pursuing my own solution of brokenness was like, you know what? I'm just gonna have some faith to believe in God. Oh, he just, he gave that to me for his glory. And where the world says whatever brings you happiness, whatever brings you fulfillment, quote unquote, temporary solutions, do it. Christ says more of me and less of you. And here's how I wanna end today. I want us to dwell on where we're leaning and what wisdom that we're believing. Because I think there's two ways to look at this thing. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. Because he puts these things at the end of the, at the end of this chapter he says that those who are in Christ have been given these things by Christ to walk in these things with full confidence and full assurance that we will because he has the victory, right? Like he's, he's secured this for those who are in Christ. We walk in these things. Where are we walking today? Because when it comes to wisdom, if we look at verse 30, he says this. And because of him, you are in Christ who became wisdom from God. The wisdom of the world would say this. It values human knowledge and accomplishments. It values self-interest. It, it is derived from pride and ambition. It is the pursuit of personal gain. And at the end of the day, it prioritizes success. It may be the expense of others. It's focused and guided by temporary here and now goals. The wisdom of God says this, it is rooted in the eternal truth that this world is temporary, that all of this one day is just but a mere shadow to what is to come. Divine understanding, it emphasizes love and compassion, humility, the pursuit of God's will. He says, secondly, that we're in Christ. We have righteousness. The righteousness of the world says it, that it is all about my self-righteousness and that is based on my own moral and ethical standards. That I get to define what righteousness is and it relies so often on my external experiences and my eternal, external appearances. It rests on my good deeds and my adherence to societal norms but often falls short, so often, every time falls short of God's perfect standard. The righteousness of God is perfect and unblemished and it is made available not through my own works, but it is made available to me and to you through faith in Jesus Christ who has reconciled us to God and has forgiven us and made us righteous and it is rooted not in my ability, but it is rooted in God's mercy and grace and his unconditional love. It says that we have sanctification. The world's concept of sanctification of just is better self-improvement. Just, just being a better version of me that I can do these through meditation or practices that focus on personal well-being and mental health. And, and I think these things can be beneficial, but where they fall short is there is no spiritual dimension to that. It's only about the here and now that I seem to be a better version of me. The sanctification of God 
is a process of being set apart for holy purposes. It's a joint work of God, the Holy Spirit, the empowered believer to become more like Christ day in and day out. And listen, sanctification is sometimes a slow, painful process to lean into Jesus, but it leads to this life that's characterized by a hope that is not fading. And lastly, he says we have redemption. The redemption of the world is just so often associated with temporary solutions that we seek from past mistakes that we've made. We try to incorporate personal achievements, things that ultimately won't address that brokenness that's inside of us. God's redemption is complete and eternal through Jesus, is complete from sin and its consequences. It involves the forgiveness that God has given us and reconciles us to God and the promise that one day we will be with him forever. It's a grace that cannot be earned, but it is given. And here's the thing. The elements of the wisdom of the world are not often bad. They are incomplete. They're insufficient. If we pursue those things, they'll leave us wanting and searching for something else. We are never at rest. See, that side of the argument, that wisdom of the world is settled in the here and now, and it is a dirty reflection of what God is offering us in his wisdom and what the Christ and what the cross of Christ has for us and his solution, that when we come empty-handed, humbly before him, when we bring ourselves burdened, perplexed, tempted, that we find today the same message that Paul preached, the same message that Peter believed, the same message that Augustine and Calvin and Luther and some guy who got on a boat and came over here and preached it to somebody who preached it to somebody who preached it to somebody who preached it to you and you believed and you will preach it to somebody. That same message, that power of God unto salvation, that same message is at work today. And if I was to leave you with this thought, where and in what do you find your ultimate sense of pride and boasting? Where's your wisdom coming from? And has it satisfied? Like, why are you here this morning? Like, why did you go through all? You ate 30 years, man. There's a lot. Like, why here? And I would hope that in his divine grace and divine sovereignty that we would find our wisdom in his word, that we would find it in prayer, that we would find it in the pursuit of the things that he calls holy, that we would find it through the men and women that are committed to the same things in the same pursuit, that we would find it through radical generosity of our lives laid down and that the wisdom of God would ultimately lead us to more of him and less of us as we walk this thing out day in and day out in our spheres of influence. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for today. God, honored that your word would bring us to these places of contemplation. 
and grateful that you would bring us to places of joy in the midst of it. God, that you are a good father, that you are offering us, God, satisfaction and joy. When we so often want our want to fix what is wrong and what's broken both in our own lives and the world through temporary means or our own wisdom, God, you say, hey, the cross and the gospel of Jesus offers satisfaction and joy. And we walk in that and when we believe that and we rest in that with full assurance that Jesus has won and he has secured the victory, God, that all other things, God, are seen through the lenses of that. God, help us. God, help those who have been walking with you for a long time to continue to believe and to cling and walk in further holiness. And for those in here today that that are coming in here, maybe they're wounded and beat up. Maybe they're searching. God, that today your Holy Spirit would do a work in their hearts that they would see and hear the gospel for the first time. They would find somebody to talk to. And God, today that salvation would come. Wholeness and healing would come, Lord. God, we are grateful for you and for your truth. God, help us now as we respond to your word to respond wholeheartedly to the beauty of what we are called to. In Jesus' name.